acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us as we roll through the Tuesday edition of the program. I am back home in Nashville, Tennessee. Appreciate again all the great hospitality showed to me out in Phoenix. Home here, Buck is in the South Pacific on his honeymoon. Uh, And we have got a bevy of stories to dive into the Brookings Institute. We finally got a response from the Brookings Institute, which named this show in conjunction with Rush Limbaugh, the number three purveyor of misinformation in all of political talk. We will discuss that. Uh, We got a missile that was fired in Michigan at an object we still can't identify. And we missed well, I, I, I am blown away by this. We took one of our fighter jets up to shoot down an unidentified flying object over Lake Huron in Michigan, and we missed Lucas Tomlinson with that report, meaning there was just a missile flying around that landed somewhere in Lake Huron. Can you imagine if you had been out on a boat or out on a ski mobile? I don't know if Lake Huron's totally frozen over right now. It's where I got engaged, by the way, up at Mackinac Island, which is fabulous. How do we miss? We missed. We'll talk about it. Nikki Haley has announced her run officially for president, joining Donald Trump. And is it John Bolton? I can't even remember who else announced. I think it was John Bolton. We'll discuss Nikki Haley, the impact. How do we see it from there? The View, a.k.a. the dumbest show in all of television, had a whale of a take on black quarterbacks in the wake of the Super Bowl. And inflation, well, it didn't come down very much in January. It's at 6.4% under Biden. In December, it was 6.5%, so it narrowly ticked down. This suggests that inflation is going to be very stubborn and may well persist throughout much of 2023. This is particularly galling for many of you out there who are dealing with 6.4% inflation 
and the average wage has not increased anywhere near that level. So we will break all of that down and more. We are scheduled to be joined by Sarah Huckabee Sanders, governor of Arkansas, and Vivek Ramaswamy, Woke Inc. author. He is contemplating a run for president. All of that coming in your direction, but I wanted to start with the Brookings Institute. I don't know a ton about the Brookings Institute. I haven't spent a lot of time focused on them because I have a life and I don't spend very much time focused on think tanks in general because by and large think tanks are just funded by rich people who want their ideas to get out there uh, and otherwise are not willing to do the work themselves. That's my general proposition on think tanks. Um, So... What is really intriguing, in my opinion, associated with this is the New York Times and the Brookings Institute worked in concert to release a list of the places that most misinformed their audience. And they put this on the front page of the Friday New York Times business. And for all of you out there, You may have heard me talking about this, I believe, on Friday. I said, okay, Buck and I endeavor every single day to be as honest and transparent with you as we can, and the difference, obviously, between facts and opinions, but opinions are only as good as the facts upon which they are based. So if you get a fact wrong, it undercuts your own opinion because it's built on a foundation of inaccuracy. That's a very basic explanation for what we try to do. And so when I saw this story, it did not only mention the Clay and Buck show, it also mentioned the Rush Limbaugh show. And obviously, Rush has been dead for almost two years now. And that is a long time for a study to be looking at both Rush Limbaugh's show and our show, not to mention that Rush died in February two years ago, and there wasn't any new shows. As you guys well know, they played Best of Rush Limbaugh for months until Buck and I came and started working in this time slot in June of 2021. So my first thought was, how in the world are they tying Rush's show into our show? And my second thought, because that's a long time frame, my second thought was, how, what in the world are they classifying as misinformation? And so when I was reading the New York Times front page in the business section Friday edition, uh, they said, researchers at Brookings downloaded and transcribed 36,603 podcast episodes from 79 political talk shows that had been released before January 22nd of 2022. So this is the very definition, not only, I believe, of fake news, but also old news. So they are looking at shows that were released before January 22nd of 2022. So that's a strange standard. That means, for instance, for our show, they only used at most six months of this radio program. But... I went on Friday and I said, look, I want to know what you have classified as misinformation. What is out there, Brookings Institute, 
that you believe we are being dishonest about. And I would like for you to come on and explain what exactly we did that was misinformation. We were number three on the misinformation list. Steve Bannon, to his credit, number one overall. We were number three. And so we sent an email. I read you that email yesterday. Brookings Institute finally got back to us last night and said they are, quote, not available for an interview. Well, wait a minute. We offered them any day this week. Said we will make time for you and your lead researcher or any other communications expert at the Brookings Institute who is familiar with your findings, which you release directly to the New York Times, and the New York Times immediately put on the front page of their business section in the Friday edition of the newspaper, widely distributed, had a graphic with Clay and Buck up there. It's called as Top Purveyors of Misinformation. And we said, you can come on any day this week. You can speak to our audience, biggest radio audience in the country. If you believe that we are spreading misinformation, you have an opportunity to directly confront us right in front of this entire audience and explain what we've been sharing that's misinformation. They said, and I quote, they are not available for an interview at all. So this is important, right? We get attacked on this program for spreading misinformation. Our response is to immediately say, okay, you made this attack. You made this criticism. You are welcome to come on this program and explain what misinformation you have found. And this is important because I would venture that much of the, quote, misinformation that they found from over a year ago was us on this program saying, hey, the data is reflecting that the COVID shot doesn't prevent or stop transmission of COVID. Because that's something that we were certainly saying in the summer of 2021 when almost no one else was saying it. That was considered misinformation then. It's now 100% conventional wisdom. In other words, it's important to point out when misinformation is not misinformation at all. It's just inconveniently ahead of what the public narrative is. And I want to continue to hammer this home because this unholy alliance between the Brookings Institute and the New York Times is an important signpost for what's going on here. Because this article, which is written by the New York Times, which was based on information that the Brookings Institute is unwilling or unable to provide to us, it is designed to try to attack this program and keep us from being widely distributed on podcast. Listen to the paragraph that I'm going to read you from the New York Times article. The findings underscore the vital role Apple, Google, and a constellation of podcast apps play in connecting disinformation peddlers to their audience. This article is designed to put pressure on Apple, Google, everyone who shares the Clay and Buck podcast because we are spreading disinformation. We are disinformation peddlers, according to the New York Times. Now, what does that mean? What's a disinformation peddler? 
What have we actually said that's untrue? Well, the Brookings Institute won't tell us. By the way, we should reach out, Allie. Let's reach out to Stuart A. Thompson, the article author at the New York Times business section. Stuart A. Thompson. Let's invite Stuart A. Thompson to come on at the New York Times and explain why and how we are disinformation peddlers and what his goal was when he said Apple, Google, and a constellation of podcast apps have to take it aim at these disinformation peddlers. Uh, also said uh, that there were much criticism for misinformation about COVID-19 and vaccines. Big tech companies have taken a largely hands-off approach to podcast content and avoiding the kind of scrutiny that has dogged social networks for years. The companies say they have little responsibility for podcast content because they are effectively search engines connecting listeners to shows but never hosting content. The companies have policies that ban hateful language or content that might incite violence, but researchers said those policies were vague and poorly enforced, allowing false content to spread. I'm going to keep hammering this home because I think it's important. I'm going to open up phone lines, 800-282-2882. Continue to read from this New York Times article because it's important for all of you to understand that this show is being attacked because of the massive influence that we have, and it's being attacked in a way that is so fundamentally dishonest that the people who are doing the attack won't even support any of the attacks that they are levying against us. I'll take your calls on this, but I think it's important to take you guys behind the curtain and explain exactly what's going on and how this show is basically a canary in a coal mine for what is happening in the larger ecosystem of news, discussion, of political talk in general. This is really really important because it goes to the essence of whether we have a free and fair discussion surrounding uh, this country at all. Uh, but we'll take your calls. I'm going to continue to read more from this New York Times article and explain to you exactly how this goes on. In the meantime, it's great to be back in Nashville after a fantastic week in Phoenix, and it is amazing to be sleeping on the Giza Dream Sheets and the new MyPillow 2.0 from Mike Lindell and his team. Pillows arrived just as we were leaving for Phoenix. So, boom, last night, first chance I had to experience the new upgrade. MyPillow 2.0, patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, now has brand new exclusive fabric made with temperature-regulating threads. MyPillow 2.0, buy one, get one free for a limited time with our names as the promo code Clay and Buck. MyPillow 2.0, made with temperature-regulating technology, 100% sourced in the United States. Pillow comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special square to get this buy one, get one free offer on the MyPillow 2.0. Treat yourself to this fabulous new pillow as I myself am doing. Enter the promo code Clay and Buck. You can also call 800-792-3269 to get your MyPillow 2.0 today. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton making sense in an insane world. Hello, 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. As I said at the top of the second hour, if you haven't already, you better panic and take care of whatever Valentine's Day plans are necessary in your world. We are joined now by Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the governor of the great state of Arkansas, Woo Pig Suey. And right off the top, hard-hitting question. I understand that you are a Chiefs fan, Sarah, uh, Governor Sanders. And I want to know, Patrick Mahomes has two Super Bowls. How many more do you think he's going to win? Ooh, that's a good question. I think, you know, if he stays healthy, he and the Kansas City Chiefs have a pretty big future ahead. He's young. Um, he makes the game so fun to watch. My husband grew up in Kansas City, and his family is still there. And when we started dating, we made an agreement that I would take on all the Kansas City professional teams if he would take on the Arkansas Razorbacks. And so it's worked out really well for me. The Royals have been to a couple World Series. The Chiefs have been to the Super Bowl a few times. And so it's been a a great time to be a Kansas City sports fan. And the Razorbacks, we've had some good moments. So, um, you know, I'm a diehard believer that every season is going to be the season. And uh, I'm trying to convince him of that every year a little bit more each time. So uh, we're we're all hogs and all teeth and, and royals at our house. 
for people who haven't been that are listening to us right now to Fayetteville, Arkansas. It is a fabulous town, beautiful surroundings. The University of Arkansas, fantastic university there. And going to games, either to watch basketball or football in Fayetteville, is really a heck of a trip. It's one worth making. So that's a, I know you've been to a ton, but I would imagine you would endorse that as well. A hundred percent. I would say you haven't lived until you have uh, been to Arkansas and experienced an SEC matchup. It is uh, spectacular. Obviously, I'm pretty biased, but I don't think there's anything better than a Saturday football game in Fayetteville and cheering on the Razorbacks. I love our coach. I think he's brought so much energy and excitement to the program and um, would fully endorse anybody coming to to visit for basketball, baseball, football, all of the above. Uh, Fayetteville's a really great town. And, you know, it's nice to live in a state in a way where we don't have professional sports teams. It's like the one unifying thing. Everyone is a Razorback fan. We love the Hogs and we love no doubt, and you're about to get Oklahoma and Texas into the SEC as well, which is going to be a really fabulous uh, rivalry going forward. And certainly the Hogs have produced a lot of guys out there, like Jerry Jones, for instance, who's a monster Razorback fan, owns the uh, the Dallas Cowboys, so those Arkansas-Texas connections are real. All right, let's go to South Carolina, which also has an SEC football program, the Gamecocks. They've got a good one in Clemson as well. And their former governor, Nikki Haley, announced earlier today officially that she is running for president in a uh, video release that came out. I imagine you know Nikki Haley pretty well, Sarah. She said before, hey, I'm not going to run for president against Trump. She now is running for governor, uh, running for president against Trump. What are your thoughts on her campaign? What do you think about the announcement? How do you see that playing out? You know, I have a good relationship with the governor and running for office, no matter what it is, whether it is uh, at the highest level of running for president or on the local you know, city council or mayor's race level, it's a really personal decision, one that only that individual and their family can make. So I, I never question anybody's reasoning for getting into a race. Um, and I, I feel like you have to go to the place. Uh, certainly that you were called to do. My, my dad was told many times he had no business in certain races and went on to win in some places, uh, certainly as governor, uh, and did very well when he ran for president. And so I think it's a really personal decision and one that you have to make for yourself and uh, certainly wish the governor well. I always love having more strong conservative women's voices uh, in the conversation. How do you think Donald Trump is reacting now that she's officially in the race? You know him pretty well, too. Look, he's the most dominant voice in our party. That's not going to change overnight. Um, And I don't think it's changing anytime soon. He's still, uh, hands down, the most influential person in the Republican Party. um, And I don't think anybody's challenging or changing that anytime soon. And I think he knows it. And uh, uh, no one's taking his microphone away. All right, so I don't know if you were tipped off on this or not. I don't know if your staff was listening or not. But literally the last uh, part of the show before you came on, Bob in St. Louis called in. I don't know if we have Bob's audio, but I told him I would ask because he said, will you please ask Sarah Huckabee Sanders this? Will she be Donald Trump's vice presidential candidate? He wants you to be the VP. This is, again, Bob in St. Louis. Now, 
that might have been before he knew that you were a big Kansas City sports fan because there's a little bit of rivalry between St. Louis and Kansas City for people out there who, who know Missouri well. So how would you respond to Bob in St. Louis who wanted me to ask you if you will be Trump's vice presidential candidate? Uh, look, I'm, I'm having the time of my life. I've been governor for one month and um, really excited to be here in Arkansas and doing things pe- for the people of my state. And I'm looking forward to serving in this role for eight years if uh, the people of Arkansas will have me. So, so far, we are off to the races, doing amazing things very quickly. And my only focus right now is on doing a good job here and delivering on all the things that I campaigned on over the last two years. That's a good answer. That sounds like the answer that you might give from the uh, from the, uh, the the desk there, or I guess the rostrum in the <laughs> White House. Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre is there now. I know there's a certain, I would say bonhomie, and that's a word probably that's never been used before on this show. I don't know why it came to mind, but sort of a confederation of, uh, of just people who understand how difficult that job can be, right? As the White House press secretary, I think they used to pass a flak jacket back and forth, whether you were a Democrat or Republican, you're still kind of in the firing line, basically from the media. How would you assess Corrine Jean-Pierre's performance as an advocate for Joe Biden's administration? You know, I think she's in a really tough position. I mean, one of the big differences that she and I have is I had a good story to tell. President Trump was doing phenomenal things. Our economy was booming. The country was securing the border. Our allies actually respected us. Our enemies actually feared us. Things were very good under President Trump. And that's the total and complete opposite of what she has in front of her. Uh, As you know, inflation is up again. The economy um, has not rebounded in the same way under President Biden. Just here in my home state of Arkansas, we're paying more than double for gas under this president. Um, Our electricity costs are up. Our grocery shelves are empty. Uh, our, our the people around the world certainly do not respect us. In fact, I think they are laughing at us on a regular basis. And our border is probably the weakest it's ever been in history. So her job in many ways is much more difficult because her story and her facts are really, really hard to sell. And I had the opposite in having a really good story to tell under President Trump. Uh, that being said, I, I think that she could probably do a bit better job on uh, learning some of the facts and disseminating those out to the American people. We're talking to the governor of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You had the, the well, let me ask you this before. If, if the Chinese spy balloon had been coming across the country and Donald Trump were president, what would have happened? Uh, it would have been shot down immediately. It would have never made it into uh, U.S. airspace. <laughs> that I, that I, would I, not have been an issue. And it certainly wouldn't have happened multiple times over the course of a week. I mean, it's it's unbelievable their unwillingness to defend our skies, defend our border, defend the people of this country. No doubt. All right, you had the uh, the ability to respond to the State of the Union address. That's an incredible honor. You were selected uh to respond to what biden argued in his state of the union what was that experience like what has the feedback been since you had the opportunity to deliver that address it's an unbelievable opportunity it's also can be a bit risky but uh you know i'm i'm incredibly thankful that i had the chance to tell the republican story 
um, and offer what I think is a very sharp contrast to what Joe Biden put out in his State of the Union. To me, it's really simple, and I laid this out in the speech. We're at a crossroads in our country that we're deciding between normal and crazy. And I think that is one of the simplest uh, and also most accurate ways to describe kind of the, the crossroads that we find ourselves in. And the feedback has been very positive from what I've seen. And I'm, I'm again, just thankful that I had the opportunity to go out and, and tell the Republican message and offer what I think was a very sharp contrast to Joe Biden. We mentioned the University of Arkansas and how fabulous Fayetteville is. You are in the process right now of working education uh, in with legislation that would create an education freedom account. What does that mean? What should be happening there, in your opinion, in our education space? Well, we're doing a number of things. We're putting forward uh, and look forward to passing and signing into law the most comprehensive education reform package anywhere in the country, uh, offering educational freedom accounts that allow parents and empowers parents to make the best decision about where and how their children are educated we're also offering transparency in our curriculum uh, and getting rid of things like CRT and the indoctrination of our school kids. At the same time, we are raising teacher pay to go from one of the lowest in the country to one of the highest, making sure we're rewarding the hard work of our teachers, um, also offering additional incentives for our teachers who are going above and beyond and really succeeding in educating our students. Uh, massive focus on literacy and changing the game for what that looks like in our state. We have not done, in my eyes, an acceptable job when it comes to making sure every child in Arkansas can read. And we're going to change that through the Arkansas Learns Plan and I think set the standard for what education can look like across the country. Last question for you. It's Valentine's Day. Do you have advice for men out there that might have just realized it's Valentine's Day at, you know, what is it, one fifteen Central Time, two fifteen on the uh, on the East Coast? How would you advise them to scramble and make sure that they have covered their Valentine's Day basis? I would say make a plan. It doesn't have to be elaborate, but have a plan put in place. My my husband did a great job. Actually, went a day early. And uh, we had dinner last night. That is night, a veteran. Uh, nice. By the way, sorry to cut you off, but that is such a veteran move. Go before <laughs> it's actually Valentine's Day and make it clear that you're doing that. And and that is, finish that story because that's one that I think is a tip that, that a lot of married couples for sure out there could take advantage of. Yeah, he absolutely killed it. And, uh, you know, I think most of the time, at least for me, um, we appreciate just the effort and the plan. And he did exactly that. And tonight we're going to trade off and he's going to take my daughter out for a Valentine's Day. And I think I'm going to take our two boys. Uh, my guess is his uh, Valentine's dinner evening will be a little less crazy and chaotic than mine. <laughs> but I'm seven years Tell my wife, we got three boys, uh, but I think I'm like 90% of the difficulty that she has, even though the boys are also chaotic because she's basically got four. I tell her she's living in a frat house. If she ever wondered what that was like, now she knows already. Uh, Governor Sanders, thank you for the time. True saint. She is a true saint, that's for sure. Thank you for the time. Congratulations belatedly on the big win in Arkansas. And Bob in St. Louis is going to be really excited when you're Trump's VP. (laughs) Thanks so much. And tell him go Chiefs. 
Go Chiefs, indeed. I think I think so. She's great. I think that Patrick Mahomes, by the way, for the record, is going to end up with five Super Bowls before all is said and done. We got a lot of things you can go check the transcript on here uh, as we roll through the program. Uh, if you want to weigh in, eight hundred two eight two two eight eight two. But in the meantime, this is really serious uh, and uh, needs to, I think, continue to be talked about. You know. There's a lot of people out there that were incredibly troubled by what happened on 9-11. There's very few people who went out and actually did something in a major way in terms of changing what our country is doing on a day-to-day basis. Tunnel of the Towers, they did an absolutely phenomenal job of responding to one of the most tragic days in our nation's history, and they're continuing to fight the battle to make a big difference. Uh, they don't ever want to forget the sacrifices America's heroes have made for us. Heroes like U.S. Air Force Senior Master Sergeant Israel Del Toro Jr. He promised his father he'd take care of the family and his son that he wouldn't grow up without a father. When his Humvee exploded in Afghanistan, he suffered severe burns over more than 80% of his body. With only a 15% chance of survivor, survival, Del Toro focused on the promises he'd made. He became the first fully disabled airman permitted to re-enlist and a gold medal winner in the Invictus Games. Now he shares his story to help others. Thanks to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation and your generosity, Del Toro received a mortgage-free smart home. Home has a myriad of smart features to help him live his life more independently. You can help heroes like Del Toro when they need it most. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. Join me and Buck as well in donating at T, the number two, T.org. The supply chain of smarts, sanity, and truth. Uninterrupted. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. It is Valentine's Day. I hope I mentioned that off the top. If I didn't. And you're out there driving around right now, and you're like, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah, it's Valentine's Day. And if you don't have a restaurant reservation, and you are trying to go in today and just walk up to the front of the restaurant and say, yeah, table for two, your wife or girlfriend is going to know that you didn't even care about her enough to make a dinner reservation because you are probably not going to be able to get seated. Or you're going to have to sit at the bar or a bar table, or you're going to be driving around to multiple restaurants trying to get in. It's not a good spot to be in, just telling you. So it is Valentine's Day. If that suddenly has snuck up on you, as I bet it has to tens of thousands of men out there right now who suddenly just thought, "Uh uh-oh. Yep, it's Valentine's Day. It's here again. A day when only things can go wrong. Think about that for a minute. Is there any other holiday where you get less credit and have more risk than Valentine's Day? If you do pull off a great Valentine's Day, it's just kind of expected. If you screw it up, it's all on you. And I would argue it's the only holiday where men have all of the onus on them and women have almost none. You want to talk about sexism in America today? How is it that we have a holiday where basically men have to let women know how much we like them? Personally, it doesn't go over that well. 
But I consider my wife to be fortunate because she gets to live with me every day. That's what I always tell her on Valentine's Day. Every day is Valentine's Day for you because you get to live with me. And really, is there anything better in the world than that gift that I give to you every single day? But think about it. Now, I did learn when I became a uh, when I became a dad that when your kids are young, Mother's Day is maybe more fraught with peril than Valentine's Day. Because then not only are you responsible for Mother's Day, you're also responsible for your little kids being thankful for their mother before they even can be responsible for being thankful for their mother. My kids have no idea how much time I've spent covering for their asses on Mother's Day for like the last 15 years. I don't know at what age they become responsible for themselves and they're on the hook for Mother's Day. So you can maybe argue Mother's Day. What I'm arguing here, and I think it's true, Valentine's Day, certainly. Mother's Day to a certain extent. Way more pressure on men than women. And Father's Day, I mean, people only know when Father's Day is. Just like a random day in June. They usually put the U.S. Open golf tournament around it. Nobody really fetishizes Father's Day, right? Mother's Day, huge deal. Father's Day, whatever. You know, it's like summer. We'll be on vacation somewhere. We're going to go out to the pool. Here's a tie. Don't hang yourself with it. We love you. I mean, really, that's kind of, you know, Father's Day in general. Valentine's Day, this is just a, a relationship minefield. A lot of you going to be broken up today. You don't even know why. You thought the relationship was going well. Next thing you know, you pull out the Outback Steakhouse gift card after you made her wait for the blooming onion for an hour and a half that relationship's over you didn't make a reservation you took her to outback and you paid with a gift card you're not you're not marriage material she's done with you just a psa big shift there brookings institute by the way if you hate the brookings institute and i now hate the brookings institute they are my anti-valentine's day uh, 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 uh gift go subscribe to our podcast right now and if you've got like kids or grandkids, go subscribe to our podcast from from their phones if you can figure out how to do it. And say, go listen to these guys. You're idiots. They'll make you smarter. Be a good move. Valentine's Day, also the day that Nikki Haley has decided to tell America that she loves us all and that she is the savior for 2024. I believe we have a uh, audio here of Nikki Haley's official video announcement that she is running for president. She said she would never run against Donald Trump. So much for that. Here is Nikki Haley, the first major, I would say, candidate to go head-to-head with Donald Trump. Just announced this morning. Listen. It's time for a new generation of leadership to rediscover fiscal responsibility, secure our border, and strengthen our country, our pride, and our purpose. Some people look at America and see vulnerability. The socialist left sees an opportunity to rewrite history. China and Russia are on the march. They all think we can be bullied, kicked around. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. 
Ah, does it hurt more if you get kicked with heels? A boot would hurt. I mean, I'm sure she's going to lose that line a lot, use that line a lot. I think it depends on the heel. How much of a pointy toe are we talking about? Who are you kicking? Man getting kicked in the groin, that really hurts. Woman getting kicked in the groin, not as much. That's her big signature takeaway line. She's going to kick you with her heels. I, I don't know. I just don't see the Nikki Haley play here. Did we invite her on the show yet? I think I said we should invite her on the show. I like her. She seems like a very likable person. South Carolina, I think Tim Scott is going to run from South Carolina. And I and we now know Nikki Haley is going to run. Here's who I think is going to be in the race. Trump, we know, is in the race. DeSantis is in the race. Pence is going to run. Nikki Haley is now in. Tim Scott is going to run. Mike Pompeo is going to run. So I think those six people are eventually going to find them, themselves in the primary. And then there'll be a lot of other people. We're going to talk with Vivek Ramaswamy. He's on at 2.30. He said he may run for president. There'll be a lot of people. I don't think Vivek Ramaswamy thinks that he's going to win the presidency, but there are a lot of things that I think he could make a strong argument about. There are a lot of people who run for president not thinking that they really have any definite chance, but that you know maybe it could make sense going forward. They got a small chance outside edge, but in larger context, they get their stories out there. They increase the overall uh, brand awareness for them. There's really no downside to running for president. Very few people run for president and emerge worse off. And I feel like Nikki Haley is going to be running as potentially a VP candidate. I just do. And I feel the same way about Tim Scott. I met Tim Scott on Saturday. We've had him on the show before, South Carolina senator. Impressive guy. He was out in Phoenix for the Super Bowl. Talked to him for a little while. I don't think, that, and look, you grab this uh, transcript, you save it. We're obviously here on Valentine's Day in 2023. First votes don't happen until January, 11 months from now. I don't think anybody has a chance in hell of being nominated as a Republican except for Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. We're 11 months out from Iowa. I understand that there are going to be a lot of people throw themselves into this race. There will be ebbs and flows. I will be stunned beyond belief if there is a Republican nominee and it is someone other than Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. I think this is a two-man race. And so I'm already looking at everybody else who is entering the race and thinking, hey, do they make sense as a vice presidential candidate? Who are the ideal vice presidential candidates? I think, by the way, Glenn Youngkin also may run, so that would put him in as a seventh candidate. Major candidate, we should say. Because didn't Michael Bolton run, or John Bolton, whatever that guy's name is, the guy with the mustache? I think he's effectively running for president. I think I would get more votes than him. He has a better mustache than me. I would have a better presidential chance than him. To his credit, mustache is pretty fantastic. So I think Michael Bolton slash John Bolton is in, um, but I'm not really counting him as a major candidate. I'm already looking ahead and thinking, okay, Trump or DeSantis is going to be the nominee. Who is the best VP? And to me, the best VP has to come from a state, given how competitive things are right now, where you could potentially deliver that state on the national ticket. Look, people can sit around all day and tell you that we don't know how things are going to go. You tell me right now, 
Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, New Hampshire, uh, and uh, Arizona and Nevada. You tell me who wins those six states, we'll know who the president is. The other 44 I'm not even focused on, those six states that I just ran through. Do any of them have Republican super popular officials who could bring that state with them? Maybe maybe Sununu could in New Hampshire, especially if, and by the way, I'm presuming Biden is the nominee for the Democrats, especially if people in the Granite State are fired up about Democrats saying they're not going to use New Hampshire as the first primary anymore because they're going to start in South Carolina. Maybe John Sununu could flip New Hampshire. I think that Brian Kemp could deliver Georgia. Could Glenn Youngkin deliver Virginia? If he could, then he should be on every ticket. He should be the vice president for Trump or DeSantis, period. I don't know if he could for presidential politics. I feel very good that Brian Kemp would make Georgia not a competitive state. I feel like Sununu might do it in New Hampshire. No one that I can think of in Pennsylvania. Maybe our guy Ron Johnson could help deliver Wisconsin to uh, the Republicans. I love Ron Johnson. I don't know if he'd want to be vice president. He probably feels like he has more control of his Senate career. But he potentially could make a play in a big way in Wisconsin. Nevada, I don't really see any. I know we just elected Lombardo as the uh, Republican governor there. It was a very tight race. If he could deliver Nevada, I think you have to consider him on the ticket. Arizona, you guys know that I love Nikki Haley. Could Nikki Haley deliver Arizona? Well, she didn't win the governor's race, and we can get into all that. I love her as a candidate. But I don't think there's a statewide Republican in, in Arizona right now who delivers the ticket. So to me, I look at Nikki Haley and say, I like you. I like your story. But South Carolina is voting red already. Same way, by the way, I feel about uh, about Tim Scott. If you're in a state that's already going to vote Republican and you are running for president, and I don't believe you're going to be the nominee because you are not Ron, uh, Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump, then effectively you are competing to be vice president. And if you're competing to be vice president, if I was DeSantis or I was Trump, I'm looking at New Hampshire, I'm looking at Pennsylvania, I'm looking at Wisconsin, I'm looking at Georgia, I'm looking at Nevada, and I'm looking at Arizona, and I'm saying, is there someone in any of those states that could deliver that state to Republicans? And the one that I feel almost 100% confident of, Brian Kemp in Georgia. I don't know if they'd ever double down and go with, for instance, Ron DeSantis and Brian Kemp, two Southern governor red state guys. I think that that would be a landslide win election. Trump is certainly not going to pick Brian Kemp. I don't know who on the table there of all those other states that Trump could pair with that would make sense in terms of, hey, we're delivering a brand new state. But that's where I think you have to think strategically as all of these announcements come out, we've got an invite to Nikki Haley. I'd like to have her on the program, talk with her. Uh, but uh, that is uh, that is how I would assess everything with the Nikki Haley announcement. Maybe I missed something. You can weigh in on that, 800-282-2882. When we come back, one of the dumbest things The View has said in a long time. I know, I know, staggering for sure. Uh, we will discuss that and more, uh, and we certainly appreciate all of you hanging out there with us. Go sign up for the podcast now that you know how exactly so much of all of this is laundered 
and broken down and how much of it is just flat out lies. But I want to tell you about our friends right now at Pure Talk. If you want a company that has the same values as you, that also can save you a lot of money, it's really tough to beat Pure Talk. They can save you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on your cell phone bill. And you can get hooked up in a really big way. Same phone number, same exact phone. All you have to do is call pound 250 and you can be well on your way to saving 50% off your first month. That's pound 250. Takes as little as 10 minutes. You can save hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on your cell phone bill. Pound 250, say Clay and Buck. Pure Talk is simply smarter. Wireless restrictions apply. See site for details. Truth after truth. You can handle the truth. Clay, Travis, and Buck Sexton. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Show. We are joined now by the author of Woke Inc. and also the founder of Strive. He has been fighting battles that are significant um, about all this woke craziness and also the ESG. Also the other book, Nation of Victims. Vivek with us now. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. Do you feel like we are winning the battle against wokeism, or do you feel like the woke virus is still spreading? 
I think it is still spreading, but it has reached a steady state. So we went through a couple of years where it was just spiking. Now it feels like we've actually stopped its momentum, but we've just reached, unfortunately, a new steady state where we just assume that this has to now be part of our culture, to assume that you have to at least in some way take into account the person of someone's skin color when you're making a hiring decision. In some way, assume that your gender identity is an important part of what we need to teach kids. And so in a certain sense, I think that we've uh, lost the medium-term battle as we've just accepted these new norms, but I don't think it has to stay that way forever. I just think one of the things the conservative movement needs to do better in pushing back against this isn't just to push back, but to actually offer an affirmative alternative vision of identity and American identity. And I think that that's part of what we've been missing for why we haven't been able to dilute this to irrelevance so far. No doubt. Nikki Haley kind of hinted at that in her announcement today. I know that you're thinking about running for president as well. Uh, Why would you run if you do run? And what did you think of Nikki Haley's announcement today? So actually, truth be told, I haven't had a chance to see her announcement speech, so I don't want to uh, comment on it without seeing it. I've been busy with a few other things today. But, But look, to me, I just think that we live in a moment where my generation, I think most Americans actually are so hungry for a cause. They're hungry for purpose and meaning and identity at a point in our national history where the things that used to fill that void, things like faith, patriotism, hard work, even family, have receded. And that's what creates this black hole of an identity that my generation, I'd say our generation, suffers from. And I see that as an opportunity for the conservative movement. I think if we can fill that vacuum, fill that void with a vision of American national identity that runs so deep, that is how we dilute the poison to irrelevance. And, and, you know, in my mind, if you look at people my age or younger, you ask them, what does it mean to be an American in the year 2023? What do you get? You get a blank stare in response. And I just think that the Republican Party can do better. It can deliver a powerful answer to that question. And then if we do that, and only if we do that, can we then face the actual challenges we face on the global stage, like the rise of communist China abroad? And so that's going to be, that's going to be, uh, you know, I think the, the central point of, I think it should be the central point of this race. If I enter it, that's exactly why I would be the one entering it. But, um, but you know, it, it's not less about the question of the who to me and more about the question of the what and the why. What agenda do we stand for? Why do we stand for it? And just to revive basic rules of the road in this country like merit, the idea that you get ahead, not on the color of your skin, but on the content of your contributions, free speech and open debate. That, too, is part of what it means to be American, that the people we elect to run the government. How about this one? Are the people who actually run the government rather than a cancerous federal bureaucracy that metastasizes like a cancer? These aren't even partisan ideas, though I identify as a conservative. These are basic rules of the road of what it means to be American. And if we can answer that question then I think we're well on our way towards a national revival. And, you know, to tell you the truth, this isn't a 999 plan or a Social Security reform package that I can put in a binder and hand to another candidate to pursue. I think that these are the kinds of ideas that you have to believe in deep in your own bones. You have to have played a role in originating yourself in order to actually fully realize this vision, which is why I'm taking this so seriously. We're talking to Vivek Ramaswamy, great author, and uh, as you are talking with him, contemplating his own run for president. You mentioned 
this idea of diversity and inclusion, which has metastasized, I think that's well said, into a situation where many people are being elevated above their talent level. I think the Biden administration is mm-hmm. a perfect example of that. I've got a poll question up right now. I'm curious how you would answer. You can't take all three. I think the only reason Kamala Harris got the VP jobs because she's a black woman. Uh, I, I think pretty much the only reason as well Mayor Pete is in this administration is because he's a gay guy. And I think Corinne Jean-Pierre is the White House press secretary because she's a gay woman. All of those individuals have failed, right? They're, they're doing very poor jobs mm-hmm. at, at, the, at the job in which they have. Which one of those do you think has done the worst job so far? Oh, that's that's a very so. I would give you Mayor Pete. Uh, Mayor yeah. Pete's done the worst job because thankfully Kamala Harris has stayed away from doing work as much as she possibly can. People complain she didn't go to the border. My view is the less work she does, the better it is for the country. Yes, so in a weird way, her not doing anything substantive was actually a great form of national service. But I think Pete has been in a very different position. I mean, you look at the software glitches that cause planes in this country to not be able to fly. You look in my home state where I'm talking to you now from in Ohio, trains literally falling off tracks, potentially creating environmental and public health disasters, but talking instead. I mean, I'm not making this up days ago about construction diversity instead, obsessing endlessly about climate change when, you know what, the things if people are going to die of in this country, in that community in Ohio or elsewhere, it's not going to be climate change. It's going to be cancer from, from spills and chemical spills of infrastructure that's rotting and being poorly managed. And I just think that, look, if I did take a take a run at this for the 2024 cycle, I'm going after, I think, some of the sacred cows of our time. I think affirmative action is one sacred cow. I think this climate religion is another. I think we need to take both of them to the slaughterhouse. And the reason that we're not doing it is because we're hiding behind this identitarian view of rewarding people and putting them in positions of power because of the genetic characteristics they inherited on the day they're born, rather than whether or not they're good at the job. And, and I think there's a separate problem altogether. You know who you didn't ask me about? Was Joe Biden, who's yeah. the person who we actually elected to be president of the United States. And so the sad part is people who are really running the show are this managerial bureaucratic class underneath him. And that's the real problem. You're talking about merit in government. At the very least, let me make sure the people we elect to run the government are the ones who actually run the government rather than this managerial class that's then staffed by people who are put in their positions Voters aren't voters weren't ready to elect Kamala Harris, whether or not she was a black woman, but are appointed to those positions in part because of these non meritocratic criteria. That is a big part of the problem. Last question for you, Vivek, and I appreciate you hanging out with us here. You were talking about the lack of purpose, the fact that there may not Mm. be necessarily, especially among young people, a cohesive idea of what America is. I'm going to talk on this tomorrow, but I was reading this morning in The Wall Street Journal and I just want to hit you with these numbers. This is the percentage of high school students in the past year who experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. 57% of girls in high school experienced that. And 30% of girls say they seriously considered uh, attempting suicide. I mean, those are staggering numbers. They are continuing staggering. to skyrocket. My theory is, Vivek, that it's connected to social media, especially for teenage girls. How do we change this? So, look, you're hitting on these are exactly the themes that motivate me to maybe take this next step. There's this wave of depression, anxiety, a mental health epidemic. Why do you think that is? It is because we as human beings are wired to be called to a higher purpose. 
And so when we lose that sense of purpose and meaning, we're lost. Then we tell that next generation, the next thing that's actually even worse about this is we tell them that you can't talk about it in the open. So now you have a loss of purpose on one hand. You have a culture that teaches these kids that they can't actually share their true thoughts in the open. That's the new censorious culture that we live in. And then against that backdrop, what does social media do? It takes those and picks at those insecurities and puts them on algorithmic steroids. And so my view is, look, if you can't smoke an addictive cigarette until the age of 18, I don't think you should be able to use an addictive social media product at least until the age of 16 either. That's not a partisan point. But I think that it's something that even the principled libertarian, I used to identify as a libertarian, I don't anymore. But even a principled libertarian would say that 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 principle of liberty doesn't apply to these kids. Kids should not be able to use addictive, toxic products at least until they're fully developed, at least age 16 for social media. But that's still just symptomatic therapy. That's still a Band-Aid. The deeper cancer is the loss of purpose, the loss of meaning, the loss of identity. I think we in the conservative movement can do better, and I hope – will play a role in whatever way I can in leading us to do better in filling that void of purpose and then creating a culture where we're actually able to have open conversation again in this country rather than this culture of thought suppression and censorship even in the next generation. Great stuff as always. How can people find you, Vivek, if they've liked what you've said today? They can find me on Twitter at VivekGRamaswamy.com. You know, just spelled the usual way. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> VivekRamaswamy.com has some information on my uh on my uh, books, and uh, stay tuned. You know, I'm going to be making a decision in, in the relatively near term. Appreciate it, my man. Have a good day. Thank you, guys. All right. There was a time not long ago that every single family get-together had somebody walking around with a camcorder. You remember those days? Uh, a lot of times it was dad. Sometimes it was mom. Camcorder right there on the shoulder, walking around, recording everything. What happens to those old VHS tapes? What if it wasn't a VHS tape? What if it was an old 8mm? Uh, what if it was, uh, when you go back and you look, the uh, slides that you would throw up on the wall? How many of those memories that are so integral to your family are starting to disintegrate just based on the ravages of time? You know, those VHS tapes were not designed to last for a long time. And a lot of you don't have VCRs at all, so you can't even watch those tapes. People at... Our friends at Legacy Box have the biggest collection, they think, of VCRs anywhere in the United States right now, and they can help to safeguard your old VHS tapes, your old uh, uh, 8mm video, whatever you've got out there, old photos, old slides. You owe it to your family to safeguard those memories. You can become your family's hero today on Valentine's Day of all days and save them before it's too late. Buy a Legacy Box today. Here's how you do that. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Clay to get a great discount and get started today. That's LegacyBox.com slash Clay. One more time, do what I did. Preserve your family's memories forever at LegacyBox.com slash Clay. The Clay and Buck Podcast Deep Dives with cool content, surprise guests. Get it all on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.